Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We are continuing the series, Finding Freedom. We kicked this off on the 4th of July, but uh, it's not necessarily about America or patriotism or anything like that. Uh, But rather, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about freedom as it relates to our faith and and what it looks like to actually live lives that are free in the way that God wants our lives to be. And so we've done that uh, by looking at a letter that a guy named the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to a group of Jesus followers in the first century in the region of Galatia. And uh, it's like Nicolas Cage's career, I feel like. The letter just keeps going, like you think it's going to end, and then there he is again. But uh, we're going to talk about that some more today. And just to give you a quick recap of where we've been before we keep going, on week one, uh, we talked about the idea of freedom and basically said that no matter what you think about when you think about freedom, all of us basically feel these two things. We feel like freedom is good, right? Nobody ever feels like, hey, give me less freedom. And we all feel like freedom is something we really want. We all want to make our own decisions. We all want to be able to chart our own course in life, make our own schedule. We don't like when somebody tells us what to do, even if they're right, right? Like we we just don't like being told what to do because we want to be free and we want to make our own choices. And uh, we talked about that desire that's in us, but then we also acknowledge that often in faith communities or in church, it can kind of feel like the opposite. Sometimes we can pick up the idea that church and following Jesus and faith is actually very restrictive, that there's that list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots that we have to follow or all the boxes we have to check off, all the behavior that we have to manage along the way. And somewhere along the way, uh, we realize like we want freedom, but you can pick up this feeling like God is out to limit our freedom and, and keep us confined. But on week one of this series, we actually highlighted that that's not true, that at the heart of faith, faith is all about freedom. And and specifically, uh, Jesus wants us to be free from the trap of feeling like we have to measure up to God, that we have to earn our approval uh, from God by doing enough good things, but rather because of what Jesus did, uh, he set us free from that. He showed us that we are already loved, already accepted, already approved by God, not because of anything that we do, but because of who he says that we are and what he did on our behalf. So that was week one. Uh, We talked about that. And then last week, we specifically kind of teased it out a little further and uh, admitted that all of us, if we're honest, are a little bit of approval addicts, that we like to get uh, the approval of other people. And so we talked about how this idea of freedom plays out in our relationships with others. And the point last week is that we are actually free to make God's approval our first priority that many of us are tempted to get our sense of approval from other people, whether that's a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, just a like faceless group of people sometimes that we just want to like us. But the truth is we should start by receiving the approval that God freely gives to us. And when we live out of the space of who God says that we are, it actually shapes all of our other relationships with other people in a healthier way. So we should make God's approval on our lives our first priority. And so today, uh, we're going to continue to talk about this idea of faith and freedom and what it looks like to live the life that God really wants all of us to live. And uh, for where we're going today, I was wondering if you've ever paid attention to warning labels. Like lots of products have warning labels on them, like maybe like a home appliance or something like that. If you 
are one of those brave souls who have ever opened up an instruction manual. You know, like the first two or three pages are like in five different languages, but then there's all the warnings and instructions uh, laid out along the way. I was thinking about that dynamic this week, and I realized that there are some things that you would never expect to have a warning label, but they do have one. Uh, so here's a couple examples. Uh, on a chainsaw, if you've ever done like a lot of work outside, uh, all chainsaws, or almost all chainsaws, have this sticker on the side of them. Danger, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Like, did anybody not know that already? I don't know, but apparently so. They put the sticker on there and they showed you what will happen if you do it wrong. So uh, that's just one of those warning labels that's there. I was thinking about uh, when I was a kid, my mom, this is not important for where we're going, but she drove a uh, 1986 Camaro and it was really awesome. It had like the T-tops in it so you could take them out and just cruise. And uh, I loved it. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But what does have to do with it is she had a sunshield that looked like this. It was like that exact one. Uh, if you don't know what a sunshield is, it's like a piece of cardboard that you put up in the front of your car so that the sun doesn't like wear your car early and doesn't make it quite as hot and all that stuff. So you can put this sunshield up. And I always thought that one was awesome because it looked like Mickey and Minnie were driving the Camaro. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Uh, but what I didn't realize is on the back of the sunshade, uh, there's a warning label and it says, do not drive with the sunshield in place. Come on, people. Like, it's a big piece of cardboard across the windshield. <laughs> Did somebody need the label? I don't know, but they put it there for some reason. Uh, most washing machines have this label. It says something to the effect of don't put children in the washing machine. Uh, I thought that would be obvious, right? It's for dishes, not for children. But at any rate, that one's on there to keep everybody safe, I guess. With gas prices going up, I feel like uh, maybe this one's important. Wheelbarrow, caution, not intended for highway use. So like you might get good mileage, but it's not what it's made for along the way. Uh, I saw one this week that, uh, you know, like food items often have labels that warn you of like certain allergens or that kind of thing. Uh, there's a label that says, warning, may contain eggs, but it was stuck on the side of an egg container. <laughs> like you think? May contain egg? That's kind of what it exists to do. And uh, if you're here and you're a parent like me, uh, you may need this tip uh, on the side of the stroller. It says, caution, remove child before folding. <laughs> uh, that's a key detail to remember. But um, I'll actually give you, there were two that I cut because I thought, oh, that's a little too far, but you're with me, right? So uh, on the side of several like Chipotle semis that deliver all the food to all the restaurants, there's a little warning label that says, warning, drivers do not carry burritos. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a situation where people are like cutting off semis to try and get their free burritos or what, but that's important to know. And then we probably all know the uh, McDonald's coffee situation where there's the big lawsuit because they spilled the hot coffee and it was really dangerous. Uh, but I saw one that I thought this is a little too far, but here I am sharing it anyway. It was like a little more specific than just saying warning hot coffee. It said, warning, do not spill on crotch. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, it's bad anywhere, but that just, you can almost feel it when you read the warning, can't you? You're like, nah, -uh, don't let it happen. But these warnings are kind of funny until you start to think like somebody did something that prompted them to put that on the product, right? Like, like somebody held the chainsaw backwards. So like, we gotta put the label on so you don't get the lawsuit. And uh, anyway, there's warnings, there's instructions that can show up in all sorts of places. But I think often in our experience of church, it can feel like a bunch of warning labels and instructions, can it? It, it can feel like you show up 
And maybe that's why you're here today, is you want to hear, like, hey, what does God tell me I can do and can't do? Like, like what are, what's the sandbox I can play in? What are the rules? Maybe for you, uh, you feel like you've heard warnings in church more than anywhere else in your life. You've been warned against the activities that you're not supposed to do. Maybe growing up, you had a, a church or a pastor who told you about what music you could listen to or, or what movies you could watch, right? There's warnings everywhere about the things that can mess you up or, or make you impure in life. And uh, for the most part, Many of the warnings that we hear about in a faith context boil down to this one big word, and that word is sin. Right? Can't you just feel it when you read that word? I told everybody during our run-through that like, I feel like I'm being a bait-and-switch pastor today where it's like, ha-ha, warning labels, sin. Like, you just feel the weight of that, and there's something about that concept of sin, regardless of what you believe about Jesus or where you're at in your faith. I, I think all of us kind of have a visceral reaction where we just feel like, ugh. Like, it feels heavy. It feels bad. And uh, for me, often when I think about somebody maybe somebody like me with a microphone talking about sin, I just picture it as a really angry person. Maybe for you, you grew up in church and you had that pastor, right, who, who would get all red in the face and get fired up and tell you about everything that you're doing wrong and how angry at you God is. Or uh, for me, I think about um, sort of like a street corner preacher, if you've ever seen a guy like that. They almost always have a megaphone. I don't know who sells it to them, uh, but they've got a megaphone and they're angry and they want you to know it. Uh, I see them at the Indy 500. My family has been lucky enough to go several years and it always cracks me up because I am a pastor and I'm like walking in the herd of people trying to get to my seat and this angry guy is outside the gate with his megaphone yelling like you're doing it all wrong you're going to the bad place blah 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 and I want to just yell back like no I'm not right like I'm fine I'm walking to my seat you're wrong but that's anyway different topic for a different day uh, but I think that sometimes like whether you've been coming to church for as long as you can remember or whether this whole thing's kind of new for you when it relates to this topic of sin we all feel that like heaviness we all feel the the brokenness and and we all understand, regardless of where you're at in your faith, that sin is generally something that we should avoid, right? Like whatever sin is, it's not good as it relates to our faith. But isn't it also true that as it relates to sin, we tend to think of sin or mistakes that we can make kind of on a sliding scale? Like, like there's some sins that are like super bad, but then there's those other like everyday kind of mistakes and mess ups that we can make that like we know we shouldn't, but everybody does it, right? Like, like, here's what I mean. When we think of sin, I, I think we think some are worse than others. Like, it's bad to disrespect your mom, but it's really bad to murder somebody, right? Like, those are different things. And maybe if you're a mom, you're like, if you disrespect me, I will murder you. But uh, they feel like different things along the way. We're, we're probably like, hey, I know I shouldn't tell a lie. Like, that's bad. But then we're like, but if I stole from a store, that's really bad, right? It's just like they're different categories in our mind. Or maybe you're like, hey, I shouldn't cut corners at work but that's not as bad as if I beat up my boss. Like, like there's just this sliding scale that we tend to think about uh, these bad decisions or these mistakes that we make along the way. And I think we can think about that as it relates to the consequences of our actions too, right? Like, again, if you're disrespectful to your mom, she may make you pay for it. You'll feel it, right? But you're probably not gonna go to prison as if you murdered somebody. Uh, it's one thing to tell a lie, but often we can justify that and think it's not that big of a deal. And in fact, we probably do this in the way that we justify our bad behavior. Because if you're like me, maybe you've done this one before, where you're like, yeah, that was bad. But it's not as bad as whoever did whatever, right? That you think is worse than whatever you did. And so eventually, I think all of this experience, as it relates to sin and what's right and what's wrong and what does God really want from us, it leads to this question, like, does all sin matter the same? Or are some worse than others? Have you ever asked that question? 
Like, does God approve or disapprove of some things more than other things along the way? And is it possible that we're overreacting about some things that really aren't that big of a deal, right? Everybody does it. Uh, And when it comes to, like, telling a little white lie or or something like that, it seems harmless. And so we can be tempted to think, hey, that's not a big deal, right? It it doesn't matter quite as much. Uh, To answer this question, like, what does God really think uh, about sin and why all the warning labels and the rules and the restrictions? Like, why is that a part of faith? We're going to go back to that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to first century Christians in the region of Galatia. We know it as the book of Galatians, and it's all chaptered and versed and bound in our Bibles. But before it was like that, it was an actual letter written to actual people. And just to recap, like, it's important to understand that when Paul was writing this letter, Christianity was brand new. That's hard for us to kind of wrap our head around because Christianity has been around for a long time and it's kind of shaped a lot that's in our culture. It's just kind of in the water. We have a sense of what church is and what faith is, even if you're new here. But to understand what Paul is saying, you have to understand that Christianity was new at the time that he was writing this letter. And so people were just hearing about Jesus for the first time. They were just trying to make sense of his life and his death and his resurrection. And once they heard about his message, uh, they began to be hooked by it. They wanted more. And so they started gathering in communities and trying to understand because Jesus came to this earth to show people a picture of what God is like. He was God in a body, and he came and he said, this is what God's kingdom actually looks like as it's coming to earth, not with force and with violence, but with things like love and compassion at the forefront. And people were seeing God in a way that they had never seen God before. And it really caught their attention. It was something that they wanted to be a part of. But as you can imagine, it also came with questions. People were trying to figure out, okay, if Jesus is this new thing, and if that's what God is really like, what does it look like for me to follow him? What does it look like for me to live the life that Jesus calls me to live? And we've talked about this in past weeks, but it was really complicated in Galatia because there were different groups of Jesus followers who existed. There were some Jesus followers who had a Jewish background, and so they had lived their whole life following the traditions and the rules and the regulations, the law of the Jewish faith, and they felt like, hey, as we follow Jesus, we'll just bring all of that with us, and we'll continue to do those practices that we've known for so long. There was another group known as Gentile Christians who were not from a Jewish background, who didn't know anything about the law, or, or they didn't feel obligated to practice it in different traditions and rituals, and so they came to the table And what happened is some of the Jewish Christians started telling the Gentile Christians, hey, you've got to follow these rules and these laws. And based on what some of them required, some of the Gentiles were like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. So there was this tension that existed and everybody was asking the question, like, what does following Jesus really look like in their world? In many ways, it's a question we're asking today, right? What does it look like to follow Jesus in our world? And particularly what these Galatian Christians wanted to know is they wanted to know what they had to do and what they didn't have to do. Or maybe as we talk about our sliding scale of sin, they wanted to know like what's right and what's wrong. How far is too far in terms of how we live our lives? And Paul starts to answer the question by speaking about a principle that's actually revealed all throughout scripture. And here's what he writes and what he says. He says, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good, because at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And maybe you're wondering, like, hey, that wasn't a real straightforward answer there, Paul. Like, I wanted to know where the line is. It doesn't feel like he really answered the question of, like, how sin works and what this looks like. But for the people that he was speaking to, the message would have been crystal clear. Because in the ancient world, they lived in an agricultural-based society. 
they were very close to crops and farming and, and what it looked like. Like they were, their economy revolved around what was planted and what grew and eventually sown and eventually sold. And, and so to this audience, it makes sense. Like as it relates to farming, you reap what you sow. What you plant in the ground is eventually, if you do it right, what grows. So like if you plant corn, you're gonna get a <laughs> corn plant, right? You're, you're gonna get corn that grows over time. What you plant now determines what you harvest later. So what Paul is doing in this letter is he's basically comparing the choices that we make every single day about how we live our lives, the things we allow ourselves to do and the things that we don't allow ourselves to do, the things that we think are right and the things that we think are wrong. He compares choices and outcomes to this picture of planting and harvesting. There where we plant something and over time you eventually reap what you sow or as Paul would maybe say it today, He's saying that your choices now determine what you eventually harvest. Your choices now shape what you eventually receive. What's true for crops is also true for your life and for my life. And maybe that sounds like a step backward from where we've been. Because remember, we're talking about freedom, right? And we said that that it's for freedom that Christ set you free, that you're supposed to live in God's freedom. and, And maybe for you, that sounds like permission is granted, right? Like, let's go. I can live however I want because God already accepts me. But Uh, throughout Galatians, that's actually what Paul's been talking about. He says that there's incredible good news for all of us that we can receive, that God doesn't give us what we deserve, but rather he gives us what Jesus deserves, that that God already accepts us because of what Jesus did on our behalf, and our job is just to receive that and to live in that grace. But these verses then almost sound like Paul is introducing this concept of karma into the equation, where he's like, if you do enough good things, then good things will come back to you, but if you do too many bad things, then you'll receive bad things along the way, and that's not really what Paul is getting at here. In fact, Paul is simply reminding us of something that I think we all know to be true, this principle that is woven into the very fabric of our world, that what you sow is eventually what you reap, that actions have consequences, and so nobody plants an apple seed and expects to pick bananas from that tree. It doesn't make any sense. And in the same way, there are consequences to our actions. The things that we do either have positive or negative outcomes in our life and in our world for ourselves and for other people. Or to put it a different way, your decisions and my decisions will eventually bear fruit and have consequences. It it may not happen tomorrow, but every single choice that each of us makes every single day is planting a seed for your future. It's planting a seed, it's charting a course, it's setting you towards a destination along the way. And, and so Paul is saying what we all kind of already know intuitively, that our life is connected, that where you are today is a result of decisions that you made yesterday, and where you're going to be tomorrow is a result of decisions that you're yet to make today, and that there is a relationship between your current irresponsibility and, and the place that you may end up, or your current great decisions and the place that you may end up in the days and the weeks and the months to come. And here's something that I think can get confusing with this whole following Jesus thing. Because Paul is not saying people reap what they sow except when they ask for forgiveness. And this is tricky, so don't hear me wrong. God offers an absolute, unconditional forgiveness that we can receive in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that here in our lives, right here and right now, all of the consequences of the bad things that we've done are gone. In other words, like, in terms of your eternity, your destination, your opportunity for a relationship with God, there is a blank slate there. But if there's brokenness in your past, those patterns, those habits, the consequences of those actions still may be showing up and still may be affecting you today. And I feel like I run into this all the time as a pastor. 
Maybe a simple way to say it is that forgiveness doesn't erase whatever you've sown in the moments before you've received that forgiveness. And sometimes people will come to me and they're like, hey, I'm trying my best, right? I believe it, I receive the grace of Jesus, and I'm trying to live in it, and I'm trying my best, but it seems like stuff from my past keeps popping up. I'm like, well, yeah, you spent five years sowing bad seeds, right? And it's still showing up along the way. And that's not because God's judging you for that. Like, you've been forgiven, but our actions always have consequences. Our actions always have consequences. And you can get forgiveness for your sin, but you can't unsin. Right? You can get forgiveness for it, but even when God forgives us, our actions in the past still have consequences. And so Paul is basically asking the question that if you will one day harvest the things that you're planted, looking ahead to your future, to the life that you want, what do you want the harvest to look like? Right? What do you want to be true in your life? And instead of giving the Galatians and instead of giving us a simple checklist that we can run through, instead of giving them a law or a rule to follow, instead he inst- gives them this picture of what it looks like when we get it wrong and when we get it right. As far as when we get it wrong, he says those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. And I know that's strong language, right? That sounds intense, but Paul cares deeply about the people he's writing to, and he cares deeply about us in in terms of getting this right. And he knows that the stakes are very high because bad choices lead to bad outcomes. That's the way that life works, right? You plant something and it grows. You make a decision and there's a consequence to it. And I think something that's important as we're having a conversation about freedom is to understand this, that the freedom we receive from God, the freedom that we're called to live in for God, it's not a license to sin. It's not just like a blank check that we get to write and at the end of the day, like God signs it and we're good. I don't know if you've ever thought that before. I can remember as a younger Christian, like doing the math in my head and being, because I I became a Jesus follower pretty young, but there's like all this life ahead of me and I wanted to have some fun along the way. So I was kind of like, okay, how far can I go? And and then at the end of the day, be like, God, forgive me. And then I'm good, right? Because he just wipes the slate clean. That's not at the heart of what it means to receive God's grace in your life. Uh, That's not really what is intended. And in fact, Paul wrote about this in a different letter to a group of Christians in Rome, and he said it in this way. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? So basically, he's saying like, hey, so like, are we just supposed to be as messed up as we can be so that God's grace is as good as it can possibly be? And that question actually reminds me of my college roommate, Brian, uh, not because he was that messed up, but uh, because he and I had a conversation one time. He was in a Bible study with me. We were trying to figure out, you know, faith and life and what it looked like to become an adult. And one night, I can remember we were talking about our experience. Brian was kind of like me. He grew up in church, and he had tried pretty hard to be a, a good person along the way. And we were talking about the idea of like experiencing God's grace and what that looks like. And he made this kind of odd statement to me. He's like, you know what? I feel like I need to mess up more before I understand what God's grace is like. But like, I feel like I need to go do something bad in order to really get a sense of what God's grace is all about. Cause I've tried so hard and I've lived a pretty good life and I just don't feel like it's a big enough deal to me. Which was like, Brian, that's terrible advice. Like <laughs> don't set out on a course to go mess up your life. But that's basically what Paul is saying too. He's saying like, hey, we shouldn't just go on sinning so that God's grace can feel that much greater to us. Instead, we have to recognize this is an identity issue, right? That we're not sinners anymore if you're in Jesus. That Jesus says that you're free from that. And so instead, we're called to live lives that look like God designed them to look. Remember week one? It's for freedom that you've been set free. 
You've been set free from all that stuff in your past so that you can live a free life that God designed you to live, the life full of all of the good things that he wants for you and for me. So while it might seem like Paul is dodging this question of like how far is too far or or what does the sliding sliding scale of sin look like, that's hard to say, it feels like he's kind of dodging it, but the truth is he's really getting to the heart of the matter. Because if we're wondering, hey, what sins matter more than others? I think Paul would say, you're asking the wrong question. And in fact, whenever somebody comes to me as a pastor and they're like, hey, is it a sin if, A, I'm like, well, I know what you want to do, right? But B, I'm always like, you're asking the wrong question, right? You're asking the wrong question. Because if you're motivated and you're thinking like, hey, where's the line? And how close can I possibly get to it without falling over? You're missing the point because Paul is saying, that instead of asking, hey, what can we get away with? We should ask the question, what do we want to harvest? What do we want to be true of our lives off into the future? What do we want to reap? And that will shape what we should sow because every decision has a harvest. And it never just stands alone with no consequences. There's always an effect. So those little things that we think are little things can grow and become very big things. Like maybe you're like, it's just a little bit of gossip. Right? It's no big deal. It even kind of feels fun to do it or it makes me feel better about the things I'm frustrated about. And so you talk to your friends and, and on and on and on it goes. But if you continually plant that seed of gossip, eventually you'll get the results of gossip, which means you might have fractured relationships. Your words might actually hurt somebody. You may say something about someone that they carry with them for years. Right? These little things can grow and become big problems in our lives. If you continually cut corners at work, you continue to not work hard and not be diligent, then over time, that will lead to a negative result in your life, right? I don't know if you'll get fired or or get in trouble or caught by your boss or whatever, Uh, but if nothing else, you'll miss the joy and the satisfaction of like a job well done and actually living out of your sweet spot and your calling that God gave you as a vocation. Uh, If you continue to tell lies over time, you may not be trusted in the future. That can have a lasting impact or like on a really serious level, if you're like coping with life by abusing some type of substance, or whether it's Netflix or a drug or sex or alcohol or something else, over time you may harvest addiction. You may find yourself in the pursuit of what feels like freedom, actually building your own prison and finding yourself trapped in a cycle of addiction or pain that has long-term effects on your body or an, an inability to deal with the stuff that life throws with you. So these little things can grow into big things and that's why it's a big deal for us to get it right and to pay attention. See, we don't follow these warnings, these rules, and these regulations so that God likes us, but we pay attention to what God says to us because he wants life for us. He wants what's best for us. And in those instructions, we can actually discover the full life that he wants for us along the way. I was thinking about this uh, as it relates to kind of our experience of sin and, and the traps that we can fall into along the way. And I think one of the greatest traps we can fall into in navigating this is what I would call a victim mentality, where we over-identify with the mistakes that we've made or the things that have happened to us instead of understanding the opportunity and the choice that we have in the matter. And uh, I had a friend who I mentored for several years, and he was a guy who would just get in trouble in the most well-intentioned ways. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it's like there was nothing malicious about him. There was no part of him that wanted to do the wrong thing, but when like the moment came to make the decision, he would just pick the wrong path and Sometimes it led to some legal action. And so uh, it was one of those times he was meeting in my office 
He knew what we were talking about. He did not want to be there, right? Because I knew what we were talking about too, and uh, he had been in the newspaper, and so we're talking about all of it. And I can remember he was really, he was really ashamed of what had happened. Uh, he was living in that victim kind of mentality. And I distinctly remember he said to me the phrase, man, I'm just messed up, right? I'm just messed up. In other words, the mistakes that he had made had started to sneak into his identity. And he was saying, man, I, I am messed up. I keep doing this. And I told him, like, no, 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 no. You're not messed up. You messed up. And that's a difference, right? It's not who you are. It's something that you did. But the opportunity, the freedom that's found in what God is offering all of us is we get the choice to make a new, fa- a new path, to chart a new course. And the decisions that you make today will lead to the thing that you harvest down the road. So you don't have to be messed up. That's not your identity. You're set free to make choices that can lead to more freedom along the way. Or in other words, when we change our question from what can I get away with to what do I want to harvest in my life, it can change everything. When we change the question from like how far is too far and instead ask like what do I want to be true of my life down the road, it can change everything. Because all that depressing stuff where I said those little bad choices can become big bad problems, the truth is that works in good directions too that the good things that you allow in your life can grow and become deep character virtues and values over time. That if you allow room in your life for the things that Jesus talks about, things like joy and peace and compassion, over time those things will actually grow and take root in your life too. Or Jesus described his intention for our lives in this way. He said, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. In other words, Jesus's intention The reason he came to this earth, the reason he lived the life that he lived, died the death that he did and set us free was he wanted to give us life that's really life. He wanted to give us the thing that we really want, freedom to live a life that is full and that is meaningful. Some translators use the word abundant or the word full instead of rich, but imagine it's like a harvest where you've planted seeds over time and then when you reap what you've sown, you get things like peace and joy and satisfaction in life. Here's the point. I would love for us to become a group of people as we try and live in God's freedom, that we could be people who start asking the questions, hey, what kind of seeds do I want to plant? What are the things that I want to grow in my life, in my heart, in my character over time? And let that become the filter through which we make our decisions. For some of us, like maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I've spent a lot of my life asking the wrong question. I spent a lot of my life asking, what can I get away with? Or or how far can I go? I get it because it's a lot easier, right? It's easier to just have the rule book and to go, okay, what's right and what's wrong? In fact, that's what God's people wanted from God for generations. They're like, just give me the law, give me the instructions. I'll try and do what you want, although they never did, (laughs) right? And, And then eventually Jesus shows up on the scene and he says like, no, no, no. Asking the wrong questions leads to harvesting the wrong things over time. Instead of just trying to follow the rule, you don't want to end up somewhere years down the road wondering how you got there. Instead, understand that you're free. And in your freedom, you can make choices that lead to life and to flourishing. If we use our freedom to ask of our own behavior, like, is this kind? Or or is this helpful? Or, Or is this good for other people? Then that's the way that we can actually approach that full life that Jesus talked about. We're more likely to end up where we want to be if that's the filter through which we make our decisions, rather than just trying to get as far as we possibly can without falling off the edge. Or another way to phrase this, maybe the bottom line for today, 
is this, that how you use your freedom now will determine how much freedom you have later. How you use your freedom now will determine how much freedom you actually get to live in and experience later. Sometimes that's true in a legal sense, right? If you go too far, you literally could experience less freedom in the future. But it's true in our lives too, and it's true in our faith. How you use your freedom now determines the freedom that you experience in your future. And and I was thinking about this principle because I see it play out in my house all the time right now. Because I've got a three, uh, almost four-year-old living in my house. And when you're three and four years old, it's like limit testing season right? She, she is constantly trying to figure out how far is too far. She's doing the thing, like, where's the boundary? What can I do? And, and so because my wife and I love our daughter, we've established some warning labels, some rules, some structure, believe it or not. There are rules in the McCoy household about, like, how things are supposed to happen. And, and like, inside of those rules, I want my daughter to have maximum freedom, to be who God made her to be, to live out uh, the most full life that she can possibly live. But when she bumps into those guardrails, guess what tends to happen over time? They shrink in, right? When, when, when she uses her freedom in a way that doesn't lead to more freedom, the freedom gets smaller because all of a sudden it's like, hey, you don't get that toy anymore as a consequence. Or, or hey, we don't like hit data in the face, so now we're going to timeout or whatever, whatever it may be, not that I'm bitter. Uh, the point is... <laughs> Like, the rules exist because we love her, and, and we want to raise her to be a hopefully healthy, functioning member of this society, and, and a person who's living out the goodness that God put inside of her, but how she uses the freedom that we give her determines if she gets more freedom later or if the bucks get smaller. The same thing is true for you and me. Like, we're not three years old anymore, but we may need the same lesson, that how you use your freedom now determines how much freedom you have later because you have a heavenly father who loves you and who wants you to live out the fullness of life that he has for you. But that only happens when you understand that what we said on week one, your maximum freedom is found under his authority. Your maximum freedom is found in learning to do life with him, not trying to get as close to the edge as you possibly can without falling over along the way. And I think the thing that's the key for us to getting this is when we understand, again, something that we've said several times around here before, it's that God wants something for you. He doesn't want to take something from you. God's not waiting to give you his approval until you get it right. He gives you his approval, and then he invites you to walk with him so that you can get it right, so that you can live life the way that he designed for it to work. Sin always comes with a warning label. Every mistake that you made somewhere along the way, I bet you either knew or you found out that like, it wasn't what you were supposed to do. That's true of me and every regret and every bad decision I've ever made. I've been a part of every single one. But those labels, those warnings, those rules weren't God's way of threatening or scaring me or trying to make me feel guilty. God uses these warnings so that we can experience the kind of freedom that comes from planting and harvesting the things that are truly the best for us. And that kind of planting and harvesting, those kinds of decisions leads to the kind of freedom and the kind of future that all of us really want. So here's the point. Life and faith can be and should be all about freedom, but that happens when our perspective shifts from what can I get away with and how far can I go and instead shifts to what do I want to create in my life? What do I want my future to look like? And then we allow God to help us make decisions that lead us there. So let me pray that that could be true in your life as we wrap up. God, I just know that this seems so simple on the surface. Like, again, in the agricultural world, we get that, like, what you plant is what you get and and that it's not going to go any other direction. But in our lives, it can be so easy to drift in bad directions. 
And God, I want to pray right now for the person in the room today who maybe is like, man, I've been asking the wrong question for way too long. And maybe they're here and they've got their Sunday best on and they've got the smile on their face, but under the surface, they're like, man, it's a mess because I've made mistakes and I'm carrying the weight of that. First, I pray that that person could be set free from that weight, that they could understand that they have your approval on their life, not because of the things that they've done or not done, but because of what you've done for each of us. And God, from that approval, I pray that all of us, regardless of what's in our past, we could become people who recognize that you want us to plant good things in our life so that we could grow good character and ultimately experience the fullness of life that you designed us to live. So God, may Story Church be full of people who aren't perfect and don't have it all together, but who are trying to plant the seeds that lead to life, that are making decisions that lead to the good things that you want for us. And God, may we be a shining example of what your heart looks like to a watching world. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.